I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast and then story and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical, when in truth it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the imaginative. Uh, we're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories, that we would see the people in them as real people and that that might help us connect to maybe God is real too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast? And what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this the breakfast translation. So this is a big day in the Breakfast Translation podcast. What are we doing today, Keaton? That's so special, and that's the biggest thing we've ever done. We are eating barley bread. That's right. <laughs> it's the moment tens of people have been waiting for <laughs> where we try barley bread, right? A premise yes. of the podcast is talking about what the people in the Bible would have had for breakfast. And lots of times that's just a practice of imagination or speculation. So it's us kind of having fun, but also trying to like pin down what these people are really like and yeah. what their character and personality is like. How they start their day. Yeah. Means a lot about who they might be. Right. And who they want to be and, and what the rhythm of their life is. So, but what we know is that for all of our fun speculation about whether they were Pop-Tart people or waffle people or, you know, those fancy French toast people, what they really had for breakfast, we know from extensive research. Extensive. Not one source. Not one source. Dozens. We know someone who was there. Like seven. Yeah. I think there's like seven people. Yeah. yeah we know somebody who was there. That's right. We know Jesus. <laughs> he was there. Um, I hate myself for making that joke. <laughs> You can even call it a joke. We're already here. Yeah, here we are. So we know from Paula Gooder's book on Phoebe, which is this, she's really doing the same thing we did, only with more research. She's trying to imagine the world around the character Phoebe, who carries this really important letter from Paul to the Romans. And so she kind of builds this whole world around Phoebe and what her life was like. And in doing that, she did all this research on the daily life of the early church and the people in this in this world. And one of the things she found out about breakfast is that very often they would have had barley bread. It was their Pop-Tart. Yes, it was just like a Pop-Tart, except <laughs> instead of flavors, it's just the same flavor every day. But you could, we have talked about, you could add oils. Maybe that's what we, I didn't yeah. get any oils or anything for our barley bread. Yeah. Uh, but they would maybe dip it in olive oil or in wine or yeah. in honey or something like that to add some flavor to it. And keep the, like, the same as choosing whether you want the frosted strawberry or the um, Oreo. Yes, the wine or the Pop -tart. oil. Yeah. So here we have some barley bread. It's actually still, some form of it is still available at your local grocery. And pre-sliced. It is pre-sliced. It was frozen, which... Generally, in baking means not that many people buy it, <laughs> but it was frozen, so we are going to, on air, try some barley bread. This is very exciting. I hope you can feel the tension yes. of this moment and yeah. of our responses to cheers. what the... <laughs> cheers. Yeah. There should be an equivalent to what you say when you break bread. It's not toast? Oh! <laughs> oh, that was great. I didn't even know how funny I am. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here we go. Here we go.
we'll have to insert some chewing noises maybe mm-hmm. into this moment to keep it exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first impressions. It is. It tastes like exactly what I would think it would taste like. Like straight up, straight up bread. Pretty dry. Needs some. Needs some wine. Needs some honey. In my yeah. opinion, it's no. It's no pecan waffle from Waffle House. Yeah, it's definitely. I did expect more, and maybe if you had like the actual ancient version and not this version. I expected like more grain. Like, have you ever had that bread where you can like the there's like the nine grain wheat? Of, yeah, yeah. So it is more refined than that. I'll give it that, mm-hmm. but it is also very boring. Mm-hmm. It is. It's so quite boring. I can see why they would have added some excitement. Yeah, uh, to it with the with the oils. Yeah, and it looks it looks like bread. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair assessment. For our visual yes. listeners, this is I. It's just Ezekiel bread. Which there's also several versions of it. Um, so people who do like a, a flourless or who want like extra healthy bread, they don't want all the enrichments and all the things that are bad for you. They go for it the is Ezekiel. a healthy, healthy option. Mm. So, yeah, but I do think it needs, needs a little something. Yeah. So what we know about the Bible is that they started their day with something fairly uneventful. <laughs> now that's what, now we know. That's okay. Now we can feel it. It definitely gets the job done. Like I can see being hungry and saying, I'm going to have some barley bread. Yeah. Now it I'm is ready to roll. It's hard. It's more hearty. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in terms of carb loading, it probably does get that job done. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So that was exciting. Maybe not quite as exciting. Yeah. Has that, that show where they eat chicken wings. That we could have a barley bread flavors. eating contest. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> or we could put hot sauce on the barley bread and see how hot we could handle the barley bread. Mm-hmm. That's what the kids are doing these days on YouTube. So, <laughs> all right. So we're going to keep going. Actually, so our last episode, we were in Acts chapter 9. If people are reading along with us, we're actually going to stay in 9. There's a lot of things happening. Uh, the last episode, we talked all about this giant moment in the world of Acts, but also in the world that we live in, it's a pretty giant moment when the Apostle Paul becomes the Apostle Paul and not the guy who is ravaging the church. Right. And trying to throw everybody in prison or stone them. For yeah, I'd say that's Jesus. a big deal. Yeah, pretty giant moment. But Luke tries to like do that thing where he adds on a meanwhile. So at the end of this story of Paul's, Saul Paul's conversion, as we've kind of come to, to title him, um, he adds this little note. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, or Judea, depending on how you say that, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So meanwhile, while this giant tectonic plate shift is happening in the Mm -hmm. life of Saul Paul, the church is growing and it's living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That fear of the Lord phrase makes me think I've been reading. So when we talk about this, like trying to imagine the world around scripture, uh, Frederick Buechner has a book where he imagines the life of uh, Jacob from the Hebrew scriptures, and he imagines him as the son of laughter, he calls him, oh. uh, is the name of the book. Cause, Lovely. Because Isaac's name is is laughter, so his son Jacob is the son of laughter. 
And it's this really beautiful book where he tries to do a little bit of what we're doing, only again, with more research and thought. And eggs. Yeah, like building the world around the story. And so he calls God um, the fear. Wow. And it's been just really interesting to, like, read the story. Yeah, with that pivot. Yeah, and every time I come across that, I I almost stop in my tracks every time to, like, think of what that means to have thought of God as the fear. Um, I think what it's supposed to kind of do is just drum up that, like, awe. Right. That we sometimes lose in our world. Because we're used to seeing, especially in the setting of reading the Bible, you know you're going to see God's name, so it might not feel as potent as it should. Yeah, and I think he's trying to capture, you know, the Hebrews had this tradition of being very careful about the use of God's name. So I think he's trying to like, what might they have filled that in with? Okay. If you weren't supposed to say Yahweh out loud, like that was a part of their reverence was to not say God's name out loud. Um, So maybe he's just trying to fill that in. But he's also trying to fill in like what, you know, like if you like if you've ever like loved somebody and saying their name like made you feel a thing mm-hmm. like I think it's trying to say like that's how it would have felt that was the s- thing that, that was they the were feeling. feeling yeah and so it just has me all in my head now every time I see that phrase the fear of the Lord like what it would be to just actually call God yeah capital fear. F fear yeah or if every time you thought of God you had that like not like a scaredy cat feeling but just a reverence right like an awe so Uh, Here they are. I would totally recommend that book for people who like to kind of imagine the story around. It's been super interesting so far. Uh, Phoebe and uh, The Son of Laughter both doing this idea, but doing it in a book form in a really beautiful way. So uh, Luke, again, Luke is this, he's also a pretty good writer in terms of books. He's able to do this every once in a while where he try to, he's like catches you up in the story or he tries to like change settings. He does these really masterful things where he tries to weave in and out of different things happening in the story. It feels so, very like current cinematic wise. Yeah. It feels like Quentin Tarantino cutting. To- <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked about this in the Saul Paul episode, right? Like he gives us this little glimpse. Right. Foreshadow. Yeah. Saul Paul ravaging the church. And then the next chapter is yep. where you find out yeah, uh, what funny. God wants to do. About storytelling that. tools that feel super familiar. Yeah. He's very good at uh, foreshadowing and it just like, dropping in these little asides that let you know what's really going on. And so he's letting you know here the church is growing, that there's there's an increase in numbers. And um, again, that's really important in a world where this is the, the first generation of people who are hearing about the story of Jesus and this big giant idea that God was among them and that God is victorious over death. And we're going to see that come into play even in these these little stories so Luke drops in just a couple of stories at the end of this chapter one is we go back to our guy Simon Peter uh who we decided I think if I can remember it we decided he would try to win the waffle contest yeah yeah that is what he would eat for breakfast yep he would be impulsive about it or he'd just like grab whatever was closest yeah so we go back to Simon Peter and here he is uh, there's a healing moment with a man named Aeneas who's been bedridden for eight years. And again, we see in this story the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, we talked last time about the, our names, what they mean. We right. talked about Saul Paul's name, how beautiful it is that he has both a Jewish identity and a Roman identity even in his name. And we see here again that when they want to do something spectacular, 
they invoke the name of Jesus. And so he says, Jesus Christ heals you. And this man, Aeneas, is able to get up and walk around. Yep. Um, which is a miracle, I think we could say. I think so. Yeah. I think I mean, so, if you're asking me. Yeah, it's even kind of impressive because, you know, the more you, if you learn about people who are uh, paralyzed, like your legs atrophy. And, right, and absolutely. So I was in a cast for like two months and I had to, it took me a long, like maybe three days to feel like I could walk around again. Yeah, you lose all the muscle, you lose the strength. Yeah. And so it's actually kind of a miracle that a lot of times these people, it's not like they just ease up. They no, are. they said, and he rolled. He got up and rolled up his mat, and yeah, they're all off. they're all uh, restored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we see that in a lot of the stories that where Jesus heals people, they get up and walk. They get up, and it doesn't say they have to ease into it at all. And so here we have Simon Peter again. The disciples are doing what they saw Jesus do, and this next story is is a is a similar thing where we actually have a story very much. Um, like this story, something that Jesus does. So uh, it says, tells us that there is a disciple whose name was Tabitha. She also has two names, right? She has this Jewish name, Tabitha, and then it yes. tells us that her Greek name is Dorcas. Yeah. Which is kind of an unfortunate name. Yeah, we can call her Tabitha. We can go for Tabitha, yeah. But Tabitha is a good woman. The only thing we know about her is that she is devoted to good works and to acts of charity and that she becomes ill and she dies. And when she dies, the people are really sad to see her go. And I don't know what you thought about when you read this story. Uh, I had in my mind that most of the churches that I have been a part of have had kind of an army of Tabithas. Yeah. Like, and again, I, I think they are very often women, but they don't have to be. But they're women who do the stuff that it's almost invisible. Um, my mom was kind of one of these women in the church I grew up in. She was the one who, when they needed a funeral meal. She said, sign me up. Like called Sheila and she provided a funeral meal. Uh, when there were people who needed a ride somewhere, a ride to the doctor, she very often did that. Um, she just passed away about a year ago, and like after she died, I learned all these stories I didn't know about people that she had helped through some season or something that she had done for people that oh, was just cool. invisible. Right. You know, she was kind of uh, a person like that. We are it wasn't on video or on stage, or right? Nobody, nobody knew about work. it. Um, we are one of the other things she did is she was a part of this, the like the prayer chain. Okay. Which yeah. It's kind of like an old school church thing that I sometimes make fun of, but I Yeah, I know. I think I know what a prayer chain is, but yeah. you. It's like you pass okay. along the needs of the church and uh and I've always thought of it as almost like a gossip chain sometimes. I, I wonder. Like, that's what like my a, brain that's what my my heart yeah. I automatically went to, but I wanted to think it could be something or I'm just sure like it can be update, something different. You know, but yeah. like I found this journal that my mom had kept where she hand wrote like everything that came through the church that needed that somebody had oh, said. Man. You know, which Again, I never know exactly what to make of, I don't think prayer is like this petition you sign that if enough people sign the petition, God does what, you know, I don't think of it that way, but it is very often people saying, this thing is happening and I don't want to be in it by myself. Mm-hmm. And so I want more people to know about it mm-hmm. and to talk to God with me about this thing that's happening. Right. And so one of the things I found when I cleaned out their house was this prayer journal that she had kept where she hand wrote like everybody who had ever called the church yeah, she sick cared. or something. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> kind of impressive. It. And we're actually recording this on a Thursday night. 
Yes. You know, we Happy are, Thursday, everybody. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good Thursday night. It's almost a Friday, but mm-hmm. not quite. And we're at Ch- Southbrook. We're at the church uh, that supports and sponsors this podcast and that has supported us. And it's Thursday night, and who's here? All the women. <laughs> yeah, it's like ladies' night. It is. Uh, here at Southbrook. It's not all women. Jerry's here. Jerry's here. We know a guy named Jerry who's here doing stuff. Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> Shouts out. Um, but yeah, we walked in, and it's not just that it's like the women. It's just the people who are doing things that are – it's Thursday night. There's no – Right. There's no glamour to it. Yeah, and they're not they're not hanging out there. Um, I don't I don't know what they're getting done. Like yeah. <laughs> they're setting up they like busy. they're setting stuff up for the atrium. Yeah. For um, they're doing like gardening around the church, yeah. so making sure the grounds are are pretty. Uh, there's people taking care of the just cleaning and stuff like that. And um, you know, I think about the church of my youth. I know there were so many people who were like caretakers, like either of people. Or of the building. Um, I know here at Southwark, we also have people who uh, would come in and just wash the toys every week. You know, you think about the toys that all the kids use on Sunday morning that get like, ooh, yeah, I've, I've, I've done, so, I've done my time in the, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's Kids messy, center. that's a messy business. Yes, and I did not stick around to clean up the yeah. toys. So but there are people who you. might come that's, in on a Wednesday afternoon and just awesome. clean the toys, right? And so we get this sense that Tabitha is one of these women who just she loved by doing and that she took care of people and so when a person like that uh, dies people notice and it says that her friends wash her which is a a moment of honor right um they want to give her one last um, clean moment and they laid her in a room upstairs and it tells us that simon peter comes and he all the widows are there uh, with her again you know very often widows were kind of left out uh, of these of just the larger culture and so they would all kind of gather together and the church especially became uh, a place of security and refuge for widows very often so they're all here and it tells us that Simon Peter kneels down with them and prays and he says Tabitha get up and uh, again this story is very much like there's a story where Jesus gets interrupted on his way to the home of a young girl who is dying and he gets there too late and she's already passed away and so everybody's already grieving by the time he gets to the house and he says almost the same thing he says Mm -hmm. little girl get up and with so here we see Simon Peter maybe repeating the exact same words like this worked before like let's just see if these words Uh still have some power in them yeah so Tabitha get up and then it says she does and he shows her to be alive and this becomes known throughout uh, all of the world and again these these healing moments are not just healing for the sake of healing they are healing for the sake of people knowing the story of Jesus right and there's something even in Simon Peter that once you've seen one person walk out of a grave maybe you start to think that that's a possible, like it changes what you think is possible in the world. So I thought it might be good. Again, we don't have like a lot of like, we don't know much about Lydda, um, the town. We don't know much about Tabitha, this woman. We don't know much about these places. So even trying to speculate what, you know, I what know. do you think Tabitha what? would have for breakfast? Right. Um, 
I think she would be because she would make sure everybody else had breakfast. Yeah, she's doing the group breakfast, I think. Yeah, she would make sure everybody else had it and probably get the leftovers very often. Mm -hmm. So she would eat like the worst pancake. Yeah, you know what I mean. The one I think I've heard that I've heard that the first pancake is always the worst. Have you heard that before? Yes, usually <laughs> in the context of talking about children and parenthood. <laughs> I did not know that that's where that the first child from. is like. In, in my experience, when making it, the first one always gets burnt. Okay, and then the pan is ready. exactly the first one is not usually <laughs> the sorry, best first one. Children. So yeah. I think people will talk about it like with parents. That first child, you just kind of try stuff. Okay, sometimes they come out burnt. Yeah, Sometimes parenting and pancakes are, I, I mean. Very similar. Very similar. Because by that second or third one, you're like, okay, this yeah. is how you do this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like she would be the person who would make pancakes for everybody. And then whichever one was the worst one, she might take that on herself. Yeah. Um, but since there's not like a whole lot happening in these stories, I thought it would be good for us to just take some time uh, to think about women in scripture. Uh, and specifically here, women in the book of Acts. And so tell me, Keaton, you, we've both talked a little bit about we grew up in churches. Yeah. Uh, we've been, I've been in and out of different churches as part of my life and career. You've been, you've kind of gone off to school. You come back, you tried to sort out church stuff. Uh, what did you, what did you learn about women in the world of the church? I remember being aware at a pretty early age that women in leadership positions in the church was a complicated topic, and I remember being um, surprised by that and having to learn how to navigate through that. Yeah, it's. I think it's funny because it, you know the we grew up in the same sort of movement of churches, and I think a lot of times it's it's almost like this unspoken thing that nobody explicitly says women are limited but you can kind of see it and you almost have to push sometimes to really have somebody say it clearly and plainly that there are certain movements of churches all over the world where this is true, where there's kind of a, an understanding that men can play roles that women can't. So women might be limited to, they can't preach or they can't be an elder. Um, but they're welcome to make the funeral meals and prepare the communion plates and do all these kind of invisible things, but that they're not supposed to do the things that require a microphone or a spotlight or anything like that. Right. Or right. decision-making. Yeah. Right? So even like an eldership where you might be the people making decisions behind the scenes. Um, and so I think it's just worth sort of saying this is a lot of that is, we're going to get into the story of Paul as he goes on from this conversion moment. We're going to see how he actually um, has several women he considers his co-workers, his co-bearers of the gospel. But then there are some things that he says in his letters that get interpreted, like people who are trying to be faithful mm -hmm. to what they think the church is supposed to do take some of his words to mean that women should have limited roles. Um I think it's worth saying, again, we want to keep kind of keep going back to this in a world where. Right. And one of the things I think we miss out on when we talk about women in the church or women in ministry, uh, and not even just, it's not even just women in the church. Sometimes people expand this to the roles of men and women in the home to say that men should ultimately be the leaders of the home and that women are supposed to submit a little more than men are supposed to submit. Um, so 
and again, this is really complicated thing. Right. But in this world, I think it's important to say um, that the, the backdrop of this story is backwards from how we sometimes think. So in America in 2021, we sometimes think that secular culture is really progressive on women. Yes. And like what women should do in the world and that they think really for they're really forward thinking. Yeah. And that faithful faith filled communities or communities of faith are trying to conserve something more traditional. Right. But in the world of acts, it's actually the opposite. Okay. That in the secular world, women were very often demeaned and treated as less than. So the example I often give of this is I had to read a book uh, called The Golden Ass uh, Mm -hmm. by a guy named Apuleius, I think is his name. And it was a super fun week because it's in seminary and we were all being kind of childish about the fact that we had to read a book called The Golden Ass. Talking <laughs> I wanted about to giggle. Writing that, you got to write that golden ass paper. Yeah. You know, like you got to read that golden ass book and write that golden ass paper. But the thing that stuck with me about that story is that this is like a secular novel, right? That, that enough people read and that gained enough traction that you could still go to Barnes & Noble today or hop on Amazon and buy it. So a lot of people read this novel. Like this was a big deal. Okay. All the women in the book are liars, they're dummies, or they're seen as like promiscuous. Okay. But like not in a like in a way meant to damage men. Hmm. So like Is it for the sake is it a comedy? Is it the sake of humor or I mean sometimes it yeah. is like for the sake of being funny, but but often it's very cruel. Oh right. I imagine I mean yeah. imagine regardless it's cruel. Yeah. So sometimes it is just like them trying to set up something like comical but it's very often just super degrading and demeaning and so I think it's worth saying that for its part in the world it's in scripture actually holds women up higher than you might imagine and that's one of the things that is so radical about Jesus like to see thinking about a world that treated women this way um there's there's all this stuff about the passing on of wealth and some of that is connected to gender. So in that world, there was this saying that was like, kind of like, you wouldn't, I don't know that you would like have it in your kitchen, like live, laugh, love. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like a saying, basically, that you might say, it might be like on a baby's card if you had a son. But it was like this saying that if a, if a son is born to you, basically the whole world kind of opens up to you. But if a baby girl is born, she brings nothing. Mm. And there was this practice called exposure, where if you had a child, but you didn't want that child, you would expose them, which basically means you would abandon them. You would kind of leave them on the street. And then if somebody else wanted to pick them up or take care of them, or if there was like a a woman like Tabitha, who was kind enough to come along, that they might take care of the child. So they called it exposure. And very often it was women, it was girls who were put up for exposure. And so when you think about the fact that Jesus enters this house where a little girl has died in a world that said she brings nothing, Nothing. that she actually takes wealth away from the family. Here, Jesus is moved with compassion for the family and for her and raises her back to life. Right. And here we have a world where widows are particularly vulnerable. They, in the eyes of the world, they don't bring any value. 
then they often take wealth away. So they're seen as, you would almost, in some eyes, it would be a relief to have one less widow on the block. But that's not how the community of faith saw these women. Mm -hmm. And so Simon Peter sees her as being worth resurrecting, that her life should be longer. Um, And we are going to meet women along the way who are incredibly valuable to the early church. So we've already mentioned Phoebe, right, who is a trusted advisor to Paul and who he trusts with this letter to the Romans. Um, We're going to meet Priscilla. We talked about how uh, she and Aquila have this really good marriage. Uh, And she actually seems to be the more vocal in the marriage. Of the two. Yeah, so they say her name first. Yeah. Uh, as if she is maybe the one who has more to say in their marriage. We're, we've talked about Philip and his how he's a girl dad, how he has four prophesying daughters. Uh, we're going to meet uh, Junia shows up at the end of, of one of Paul's letters and is, is actually referred to as an apostle. Uh, and actually saw Paul, our guy, for all the hits he takes on his view of women, um, at the end of his letters, very often he names women as his, like, the people he is in this with. Mm-hmm. And so even in the narrative, it's just something um, more beautiful than I think we give it credit for. Um, that actually, even though it's it's not, it might not say, um it might not say exactly what we expect, but it says something that in its own, in that world, would have been groundbreaking. And I think we have to kind of remember that. So um, what would it look like for that ground to keep on breaking, you know? Um, and again, it, we're trying to get closer to this picture from Joel, from Acts 2, where the lines all get redrawn around who has value. Um And so it's encouraging to me that as you move through Acts, and again, Luke has a storyteller, wants to keep on drawing our eyes back to the margins of society and and to showing you what God is doing in the places you least expect it. So it's important to him to include Tabitha's story. Uh, I almost, we almost skipped over it, I think even in our podcast, you know, because it's not big and dramatic. No. The next chapter, chapter 10, like a giant dramatic shift happens. And in this story, just a woman who was really good is given a little bit longer to yeah, live. Yeah, given another chance. But life. that was valuable enough that they kept talking. You know, it, right. it got repeated enough times that it makes it into this story. Mm-hmm. And so even growing up, you know, kind of seeing the limits that were put on women and even knowing in my own career, I've had to like sort out um, what doors were open to me. Right. Um, but when I go back to scripture, I actually see the church trying to change the world. And um, I think we need to give the early church maybe more credit for actually transforming the world that it found itself in. So uh, any invitation in this story, is there anything that makes you think you'll wake up and have breakfast different tomorrow? It definitely makes me want to be doing more and more work that Tabitha was doing. See how much the people around her loved her and, respected her and missed her yeah. and I, I just would love to be a part of of what she she is and means and yeah and there's something really special about 
doing the things people don't see. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've ever just tried to like do something anonymously. Like there's a real power to it. Um, that you tell somebody about 10 years later, yes, <laughs> you know, like I did this anonymous thing 10 years ago that uh, made me feel really good. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a real powerful to doing the invisible, um, kindness. Um, so I think I see that in her too. Yeah. 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 What, what about you? Yeah. I think that invitation and then also just recognizing, um, how change happens mm-hmm. <laughs> that change is very often kind of slow. I think a lot of a lot of times we read this and we want Paul to move faster on like issues like slavery, right? He's also very subversive in how he talks about slavery. Uh, and we want him to just say, it's awful. It's bad. Yeah. So we have a point to place, a place to point to now. Yeah. Say, see, he says that. Yeah. When it comes to him and women, I want him to just clearly say what he believes they're capable of. Uh, and I, I think you have to do some work to make him say what you want either way. Right. You know, whether you're for or against women in leadership, I think you have to work Mm -hmm. to make him say those things because he is kind of subversive and because our world is very different. So um, I think it makes me realize that these changes, though, slow as they come, they are evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that any time somebody who was down and out is back up and on their feet, that that is evidence that Jesus is at work. So I'm going to try to remember that when I get up tomorrow. When I you eat and me both. I special like, K chocolatey yeah. delight. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, just the change is possible, which we also saw last time in one person. But when we look at the wider picture of Acts, we see it's possible in, in very big ways too. Mm-hmm. So we'll keep tracking that because we'll, we'll run into more stories where uh, Paul and women uh, come into the story and where things change. So again... Find us at The Breakfast Translation. Send us uh, questions. Our hope is eventually to do a leftovers episode where we can include some of your own responses and reflections on some of these stories. Our hope is that you're reading along with us, whether it's over breakfast or coffee or late at night before you try to fall asleep. Uh, We just want to keep company with the story of God, and we hope you're in it with us. Thanks for listening. story